And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. I'm going to have to get a new cable, I think. <sighs> Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker, and this is what happens. Live television, folks. When something goes wrong, you just got to roll with it, I guess. I'm going to have to get a new cable, I think. So, anyway, welcome to the program. It is Wednesday. It is almost Memorial Day weekend. We are that much closer to episode number 600. Can you believe we've done six, almost 600 of these things? <coughs> and uh, give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this program as a podcast. We do want to invite you to check out the live video. We are broadcasting live every day, 1 p.m. Eastern, over at uh, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Twitch. Uh, so join us over there. Also, we do have the Discord server up, social media connections, email, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom And here's, here's an interesting development. Before I get to my main topic, here's an interesting development in the strike. The writer's strike, which could soon be also the actor's strike and the director's strike. But uh, this post here, <coughs> excuse me, quoting uh, a joint statement from the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild. Now, for those of you who have not been been keeping up on this, this week, I believe it was either yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we had Max launch the new streaming service that used to be HBO Max is now Max, which is dumb, but okay. <coughs> and somebody noticed that when you go and look at a listing for a film or a television show, you have, instead of the directors being listed as director and the writers being listed as writers, everybody has been lumped into this generic creators category. And the Writers Guild of the Directors Guild will not stand for this. <coughs> They've issued a statement. And uh, I tell you, folks, it's getting interesting. It really is. This is a joint statement. Presidents of the Directors Guild of America, the Writers Guild of America West, released the following statements decrying... The unilateral decision by Warner Brothers Discovery to change the long-standing individual credits of directors and writers in the new rollout of Max. Quote, For almost 90 years, the Directors Guild has fought fiercely to protect the credit and recognition deserved by directors for the work they create. Warner Brothers Discovery's unilateral move, without notice or consultation, to collapse directors, writers, producers, and others into a generic category of creators and their new Max rollout while we are in negotiations with them is a grave insult to our members and our union, said DGA President Leslie Linka-Glatter. This devaluation of the individual contributions of artists is a disturbing trend, and the DGA will not stand for it. We intend on taking the strongest possible actions in solidarity with the WGA to ensure every artist receives the individual credit they deserve. Said WGAW President Meredith Stein, quote, <clears throat> Warner Brothers has lumped writers, directors, and producers into an invented, diminishing category they call creators. This is a credits violation for starters, but worse, it is disrespectful and insulting to the artists that make the films and TV shows uh, and make their corporate th that make their corporation billions. This attempt to diminish writers' contributions 
and importance echoes the message we heard in our negotiations with AMPTP. That's the uh, Association of Motion Picture and Television something. That writers are marginal, inessential, and should simply accept being paid less and less while our employers' profits go higher and higher. This tone-deaf disregard for writers' importance is what brought us to where we are today, day 22 of our strike. So, so what we've got here, and in political diplomatic speak, at least uh, as, as much as I understand from reading Tom Clancy, the words grave insult in, in diplomatic circles is quite the gauntlet being thrown down. Now, uh, Writers Guild is already on strike. <coughs> Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, which is the actors' union, they have, uh, their board has called for a strike authorization vote, which means they are one step closer to the actors' union going on strike. And the Directors Guild is the next union, the SAG and the DGA are both currently, or just about to go into negotiations for a new contract, because the one they're in currently expires at the end of June. So I do believe that SAG, SAG negotiations, I think, start June 7th. I'm not sure when DGA starts. It might be around the same time. <clears throat> so, Michael, your question, what percentage certainty of the other strikes? I think they're actually going to happen. I think... Now, to be fair, to be objective, when it comes to compensation on some of this stuff, yes, there needs to be some kind of delineated package and definitions as to what you get paid for what. Absolutely no question. If you do work, you should get paid. And fair wages is a subjective thing, yes, but uh, you have uh, you have a number of different things there that factor into uh, how much the work is worth. And I think that the Writers Guild probably has a little bit of an argument that can be made that they're not getting paid. All of the compensation for which they should get paid because of how streaming works. And this all goes back to streaming and residuals and royalties and reruns and that kind of thing. Because reruns are no longer a thing. You know, back in the day, those of us who are of an age, you'll remember reruns. We had new episodes of shows between September and May. And on the broadcast networks, you would have the September season previews. <clears throat> and then you'd have November sweeps. And then you'd have February sweeps, which are not quite as important. And then you'd have the May sweeps. And the May sweeps were all the season finales. This is when we got Best of Both Worlds Part 1. And Riker said, Mr. Wolf, fire. And then it cut to black and you had to wait three months to find out what happened. To Locutus of Borg. None of that, none of that applies anymore. That's all gone. <clears throat> Reruns were everything that we watched when we didn't have new episodes. All of the summer was was rerun stuff. You know, you'd see, you, they'd broadcast the the episodes over again. Well, with streaming, you don't have reruns. And reruns always carried with them residual payments for the people who had that in the contract. The syndication stuff. Um, King's World does a ton of money syndicating different programs. And that was one of the reasons why we didn't get Star Trek Phase 2 as a TV series in the early 70s, because the networks were worried that it would cut into the residual money that they were getting off of the original Star Trek now that it was in reruns. And you have talk every now and again, at least back in the day, series would need to get to a certain number of episodes in order to make it... Uh, 
suitable for syndication. You got to have enough episodes that you can make it worth the money for people to buy the license to run the reruns. None of that none of that's applicable anymore. Because the people who we get paid residuals, actors, writers, producers, directors, depending on how they negotiate their contract, for every single time a show airs, they would get paid something. Well, now that you've got streaming, I can watch, I can watch the season finale of Picard season three as many times as I want, and we pay a fee every month. And Paramount Plus has, and and they're not seeing. I I don't know how they're counting it, and how they would figure and calculate. Residual payments, royalty payments, how, how do you figure on that stuff? And that's the thing that has to be figured. Now, this is the same argument that Writers Guild used when they went on strike the last time with regard to webisodes and web series and transmedia and all this other stuff that they were talking about back then. And it was like 2007. And if you go back even further to 1988, and that strike, same kind of thing. We're not getting paid what we're worth. And now you have the added layer of, you know, the writer's room being a thing as uh, much more than it used to be. And look, how how many of these how many of these writers rooms are populated by people who are there specifically to check a box? I don't know. But... I don't know. Uh, Michael says, they're trying to change the definition of the jobs to dilute the union's powers each individual union can pull. That's possible. Um, I don't know... I don't... I. To me, I'm I'm not sure what the reasoning behind it would be to sit there and say creators, unless it it could be, it could be a calculated move on on Warner Brothers' part. But if it's just Max and not the other streaming services that are doing it, then uh, I don't know how effective it's going to be if that's what they're deciding to do. Because if that's a shot across the bow, all will show you, it would be much more effective if all the streaming services did it, not just Max. So I don't know how effective it's going to be. It could, it could just be... I've heard that there are bugs in the rollout of Max... This could be a temporary thing. It could be a placeholder. Who knows? I who knows? This is going to go on for months anyway. We're gonna, we're going to be dealing with fallout from the strike for a while because you have you know Writers Guild is the only one currently on strike, but. Other unions are honoring that picket line. We saw this in New York with Daredevil Born Again, where the Teamsters and the local IATSE chapter up there refused to cross the picket line and work on the production in solidarity with the Writers Guild. So, so you effectively have all the unions deciding, Writers Guild's on strike, so are we. We're going to stop working. <clears throat> now, when the DGA goes on strike, when SAG goes on strike, and who knows, the Producers Guild, the Editors Group, hair and makeup people, all of them have unions. And they could all decide, you know what? We're all on strike. I, I, I fully expect Hollywood to be completely shut down by the end of summer. That's a guess on my part, but... That's what I think is going to happen. We're going to get quite a bit of shutdown <coughs> on everything. It's, uh, 
it's something to keep an eye on. It's very interesting to watch. Oh, hey, here's something else interesting to watch. Disney Disney stock is at $88 a share. It hasn't been this low in a while, but yeah, look at that. $88.91 per share, and it continues to drop. Uh, and you know, this is the one month trend you can see in, on, on May 8th, it was at 102.97 at, uh, May 18th, 93. And here it is, 88.93. It's, it's, it's gone up two cents, 88.93. Yeah. How much you want to bet it hits 87 by the end of the, end of the week? <coughs> I wonder what Target's sitting at. <clears throat> I wonder what Anheuser-Busch is sitting at. I mean, that's that's not our wheelhouse. But I wonder. Bum, bum, bum. All right. Let's get into the topic. Vanity Fair had an article that uh, that popped out yesterday. Of all things, see, I I first saw it and I thought, oh well, this is you know somebody is sharing because a lot of times you will go on your social media and people will share articles and whatnot, and it'll be something from 2010 or it'll be something from 2003 or it'll be something from 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 two years ago. So I figured this was something like that, but it's not. This is a brand new article in Vanity Fair yesterday posted it's from Anthony. Bresnikan, and it is going to appear in the June 2023 issue of Vanity Fair, but this article is out there online now. The V Files, the shocking legacy of an 80s sci-fi cult classic. That's the headline. I have a photograph here. For those of you who are listening as a podcast, we have a photograph here of Jane Badler, as Diana, the evil villain from V, from the original V. <clears throat> and this is uh, an interview with Kenneth Johnson, who is the writer and producer who created the original miniseries. And it gets into the origins of the miniseries and lots of different things what happened at that time. The death of one of the actors that was on this in this cast. But there are some interesting points that this article makes that I want to I want to take a look at today. Because I shake my head at this. Uh, Snob says, uh, am I reading Brainwaves again? You just ordered the original V. Uh, you get uh, 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 a DVD or a VHS? Because it's, you know, 80s. <coughs> All right. And no, I don't think this is lizard people like you find at the truck stop. This is a more insidious lizard people. All right, from the article. Even 40 years later, V is still getting under people's skin. I see what you did there. The writer, producer, and director, Kenneth Johnson, has never stopped getting fan mail about the miniseries he created back in 1983. Which, man, oh, that might be why we're getting 83. That would have been 40. 40 years ago. Anyway. Uh, back in 1983, which rattled America with its depiction of cold-blooded authoritarians conquering the world. The invaders in red jumpsuits, dark glasses, and ball caps were actually beings from another planet, but Johnson intended the sci-fi drama to be more than mere escapism. To him, it was a warning. And those of us who watched it at the time, we were able to figure this part out. Just saying. When he gets new letters from viewers, Johnson opens them hoping they got the message, which seems as obvious to him now as it did back then. 
Uh, quote, I got to thinking, God, how would everyday people feel if suddenly there was a sea change in our life that turned it all around, if suddenly some hyperpower rolled over us just like the Nazis rolled into Europe, he says. But in recent years, far-right conspiracy theorists, QAnon followers, and garden-variety lunatics have instead homed in on the fact that V's extraterrestrials were secretly reptilians disguised as humans to mislead us. So Vanity Fair is now leaning into those people on the right are crazy. Many harbor a sincere belief that a reptoid cabal, I think that should be reptiloid, <coughs> reptoid cabal really does control the world. Uh, quote, I've gotten emails over the years and letters from people on the fringes who say, oh, you get it, Johnson says. You know that there are lizards among us. And there is, you know, prosthetic there, one of the visitors with the masks ripped off, revealed. This is just one twist in the real-life saga of V, a show that changed television by bringing blockbuster scale to the small screen while presenting an eerie, uh, eerily prescient political allegory that most viewers saw clearly. Yes, we did. The title had two meanings. V, v stood for the visitors who appear in our skies promising medical advancements, astounding new technology, and good old-fashioned peace in our time. It also stood for victory, the battle cry of the rebellion that forms when the newcomers are revealed as scaly predators. As their power grows, the aliens round up resistors who become their favorite new source of food. V was watched in more than 33 million homes, which amounted to 40% of all TV viewership. The most popular series in America today, Yellowstone, averages 13.1 million viewers per episode. And that's notable. And yes, everything's different now. But none of the stuff that we watch now gets as much play as most of what we grew up watching. Now, granted, 500 channels as opposed to five, but still. <clears throat> uh, Michael says, add to your list of actors who seem to love everything they do or, or we loved everything they did, Mark Singer. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark Singer seems to have fun with what he does for the most part. And he's actually quoted in this article. We'll get to that. V's popularity spawned a second miniseries, then a weekly show, which was devastatingly terrible. <clears throat> and decades later, it was remade in a glossy 20, zero, uh, a 2009 reboot, which was also terrible. Although memories have faded over the years, it retains a robust cult status. Red-suited invaders can still be spotted among the cosplayers at conventions. <clears throat> Few fans are likely aware of V's backstory, its origin as a pure anti-fascism parable devoid of extraterrestrials or the horrific true-life true crime that shocked its cast and crew when one of the stars, Dominic Dunn, was savagely killed and another became embroiled in the tragedy as a witness. And despite the show's success, Johnson was forced out, leading to the eventual collapse of the franchise. The making of V could be a primetime soap opera of its own. Today, Johnson hopes to reclaim the show from the executives who bungled it, from the conspiracy obsessives who misunderstood it, and from the reliquary of nostalgia TV. He is actively trying to remake it as a series of movies... Believing its themes are more relevant than ever. Now 80, Johnson is a lean and limber presence, battle-scarred by his years in the Hollywood trenches, but still energized. With his ginger-gray beard and ring of hair, he bears a striking resemblance to Don Quixote. V is now and always has been his impossible quest. So, okay, <coughs> here's how this is going to go. If Johnson gets to do these as movies and 
if they are as blatant allegories like the original miniseries. Look, make, there is no question the original miniseries was a blatant, obvious, in-your-face allegory for Nazi-like fascism. It, it was. It absolutely was. It was done well. The story was told well, which redeems it. But can you imagine that being done now in today's climate in today's political climate in today's cultural climate he wants to remake V as an anti-fascism tale how do you think that's going to go what do you think that will look like uh uh-huh it is interesting to read about the the origin of this, this idea that he had, because it wasn't originally supposed to be alien invaders. It was just going to be another thing. Uh, he's, yeah, it, it gets into talking about where, where his inspiration was. Uh, Sinclair Lewis's 1935 novel, It Can't Happen Here. And it was uh, talking about various different things with the rise of fascism and whatnot. Uh, Sinclair Lewis's dystopian 1935 novel, It Can't Happen Here, was his inspiration. The book was written by the Nobel laureate at the time of Mussolini's rise in Italy and Hitler's takeover of Germany. And Lewis intended it as a warning to complacent Americans that their democracy was more vulnerable than they realized. Decades later, Johnson believed the premise still had resonance. In Lewis's book, the United States is torn apart by a flamboyant, blowhard politician who uses fear-mongering and empty promises to the working class to win election before consolidating his power, shattering the traditions of government, breaking any laws that constrain him, and stoking paranoia and division. That, 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 that's, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <coughs> The executives at NBC, which two decades later would premiere a show called The Apprentice, found this all to be far-fetched. Okay, there's no reason to throw in The Apprentice other than to make the connection to people. Hey, let's connect the dots. This is, this is clearly Vanity Fair setting up an argument, a narrative... Brandon Tartikoff, who had been president of entertainment at NBC for about a year, wanted something bold to revive a network stuck in last place. He would become legendary for programming hits like Miami Vice, The Cosby Show, Law and Order, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Seinfeld. But in 1982, none of those existed. He quickly committed to making Johnson's miniseries and possibly turning it into a weekly show, but he had notes. Uh, Johnson recalls, he said, I don't know that Americans will get fascism. I said, well, it's not a complicated concept, Brandon. You put on a brown shirt, you shave your head, and you beat somebody up. But he said, couldn't it be an outside force like the Soviets or the Chinese? A programming executive sitting in the meeting chimed in, quote, a young guy named Jeff Sagansky uh, was sitting in the corner. He said, how about aliens, Kenny? Johnson said. And I went, ah, I did, just didn't want to go in that direction. Tartakov died in 1997, but Sagansky, who went on to become president of of CBS Entertainment and later co-president of Sony Pictures, remembers that conversation. Quote, I got up, I went to the window, and I said, picture small spaceships buzzing up and down Burbank Boulevard. These aliens, they say they're coming in peace. And remember all these posters that were up everywhere. Johnson left the meeting with his fuse lit. He says, I freaked out. I didn't want to get so typecast as the sci-fi guy. Now, remember, Johnson had been done, done uh, The Incredible Hulk, Bionic Woman. I mean, that he, was doing, he was doing science fiction. <clears throat> as he cooled off, he started thinking about ways it might work. Rod Serling had created powerful social commentary using genre tropes in The Twilight Zone, and Ray Bradbury had done the same thing with his books. 
Uh, Johnson says, I went home that night and I realized that Jeff had a really brilliant idea. V was always about how individual people react to power. Some will suck up like the Vichy French did to the Nazis and others will try to keep their heads down. The heroes say this power is being abused and we've got to fight back. V was personal for Johnson. So we get into the history of here and, and you know all of the different things you know, that he experienced growing up. And apparently he worked with Roger Ailes over on the Mike Douglas show. Roger Ailes went to go work for uh, Richard Nixon, and they invited Johnson, and, John, and Johnson was like, no. Although he does say that if it had been Robert Kennedy's campaign that invited him, he might have gone. So that tells you something right there. Johnson rewrote his script to focus on an alien invasion, and V got the green light. With NBC's commitment to air it, Warner Brothers signed up, uh, signed on to produce the four-hour miniseries for about $8 million, roughly the same that George Lucas had gotten for Star Wars six years earlier. Okay. <clears throat> but it all had to be done fast. Uh, quote, from the day that Brandon read the screenplay on a weekend and said go until the day that I said action... It was two and a half weeks, says Johnson. NBC needed to, uh, to air V in May of 1983, a sweeps month, when viewership directly influenced advertising rates. But the tight schedule meant longer days and weekend work for the crew. Between that and all the visual and makeup effects, V's price tag climbed ever higher. At the time, I heard, I remember hearing, <clears throat> what was it? Something like the the laser blast. Each laser blast in this show, in this miniseries, each laser blast costs somewhere on 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 the order of fifteen hundred dollars a piece. Every single time it went pew, fifteen hundred dollars, pew, fifteen hundred dollars, pew, fifteen hundred dollars. I can't remember where I heard that. It's been a very very long time, and I have slept since then. <coughs> V was an ensemble story with a vast cast focusing on a young med school student named Juliet Parrish who goes from working in a lab to leading a revolution. A TV cameraman named Mike Donovan, whose camera captures the visitor's true nature, and a ruthless visitor enforcer known as Diana, who is tasked with quietly crushing the resistance while her alien superiors gladhand Earth leaders and put a reassuring public face on the invasion. The rebels gain strength from people on the margins of society. Immigrants, blue-collar workers, the elderly, and even assorted outcasts and outlaws, while those with more established status in society grudgingly accept the visitors' gradual changes. A few humans even collaborate with the aliens, such as an embittered young man who derives power from reporting dissidents and a wealthy woman eager to elevate herself in the new hierarchy. You see how they're setting this thing up, right? You see how they're setting this up. In this article, they are making the resistance the underrepresented, the, the marginalized, the downtrodden. Whereas the collaborators, the people who are, they're, they're the upper crust, they're the high society, they're the hoity-toity crowd, the white privilege crowd, if you will. Even though that's not quite how it played out. <clears throat> A few good aliens who turned against the invasion, such as Willie, played by Robert England. After a decade of bit parts in movies, the actor became a star on V as the kind-hearted comic relief visitor who didn't want to hurt anybody. Ironically, he would break even bigger a year later, playing the claw-fingered Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street. I had forgotten those were only a year apart. England says V's veiled World War II references were clear to everyone working on it. If you were around then, you have to ask yourself, what would I have done? It wasn't veiled by much. 
it wasn't veiled very much at all. It was clearly a World War II allegory and uh, and stuff. <clears throat> uh, and then it goes on to talk to, you know, the stars, you know, G- uh, 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 um, Faye Grant. They talk to Mark Singer in this. But I, I really want to get through, get to this. I mean, they're talking about Jane Badler and some of the effects and eating the eating the animals and and whatnot. <clears throat> but here we go in this in this piece. One of the most emotional subplots of V involved an elderly Holocaust survivor named Abraham Bernstein, played by the late Leonardo Cimino who realizes what the visitors are up to when scientists and reporters start disappearing. He offers to shelter an anthropologist and his family, but his grandson, Daniel, played by David Packer, is a troubled kid who idolizes the visitors, dresses in their uniform, and collaborates as a member of the Visitor Youth Program. And yeah, Snob, it's very much like uh, like in The Sound of Music. Today, here we go again. Today... Daniel would be considered an incel, harboring an unrequited desire for a neighbor girl, Robin, whose father is the anthropologist hiding in Daniel's garage. Daniel uses this to blackmail the girl, played by Dominic Dunn, who had just made her breakthrough as the older sister in the hit film Poltergeist. Now, there's a whole nother story about Dominic Dunn. Because they were shoot, they were in the middle of shooting this when she was killed by her ex boyfriend. It was a it was a, a huge thing, and it was a it was a big traumatic thing, and Robin end, you know uh, uh, Robin ended up having to get recast, <clears throat> of course. Blair Tef, Blair Tefkin played Robin, and they had to go back and reshoot everything. But David Packer was at Dominic Dunn's house. Visiting, they had become friends when the ex-boyfriend shows up. And he's in the house, and they're having their confrontation outside, and the ex-boyfriend choked her to death. And he he hears a bunch of noise and things, calls the cops, goes out to see what's going on, and she's already on the ground. And that, in the middle of everything else, did not help. But... uh, that aside, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time focusing on that because it's the, it's the it's the allegory here that you have all of this stuff happening in this story that really is getting recharacterized. In this modern retelling here. I mean, they're talking about how he got forced out. And the new, uh, the new, the second uh, part of it uh, with the final battle and all of this. And the way that the series, I mean, the series was bad. We're not even going to talk about the series. And then Johnson went on to alienation and, and that. <clears throat> So now, after we go through all of this, now he's looking to try to revive V as a series of movies. The fandom, he believes, is still out there. He keeps a drawer-sized binder full of letters and emails, many of them penned by people who were just kids when they watched the original miniseries. Many thanked him, not just for the scares and thrills, but for teaching a valuable moral. He says, quote, if I printed all of them, I mean, it would be a stack that would go to the ceiling, he says. Honest to God, it's crazy, but bless their hearts, I love those fans and the fact that so many of them get it. In recent years, however, Johnson began detecting that worrying trend in his inbox. QAnon has adopted a whole thesis that the Democrats are aliens disguised, he said. It was really hard for me to imagine that people can misunderstand to the point of actually believing that there was really a lizard race and that I had been trying to warn everybody. Conspiracy theorists lurking on chat boards and comment threads fervently believe that a secret race of lizard-like beings secretly manipulate the media, government, and banking system. It sounds absurd, but a 2013 public policy polling survey on conspiracy theories found that 12 million Americans believe it. About 4% of the country. 
The theory has actually become a deadly obsession in some cases. In 2020, the FBI said a man sent letters to friends warning about the so-called reptilian conspiracy before killing himself and injuring eight others in a Nashville car bombing. A year later, a man who murdered his two children told investigators he did it because his wife has passed on her serpent DNA. <coughs> yeah, 2013 was before a certain particular person got elected president, yes. The reptilian cabal theory dates back to the 1800s, often fueled by anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant sentiments and used as a way to dehumanize such groups. See, here we, here we go. This See, there's, there's a narrative here. Johnson, of course, made V to push back on this kind of dehumanizing nonsense, only to find his creation used to propagate it. Social media users regularly highlight wrinkles in the faces of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris's evidence they are covert lizard people. No, I haven't seen... I mean, I, yeah, I've seen some stuff about lizard people, but body doubles can wear masks just as easily as lizard people can wear masks. And I've seen that theory circulated a whole lot more than I've seen lizard people. Not all who misinterpret V are conspiracists. Some are just oblivious. You're not, you're not crazy, but you could be stupid. Allegory can deliver a meaningful message in a coded way, but not everyone does the necessary code breaking. Something similar happened to the Matrix when right-wing activists adopted red-pilling as shorthand for new people being awakened to their beliefs. So, see, this whole thing, it, yes, it's a, it's, it's, let's get V made as movies. This is Kenneth Johnson wanting to remake the, the miniseries as films. But we're also going to take a swipe at the right every chance we get. Now, the thing is, the thing is, you get into this, and the fact that V was an anti-fascist allegory. I want to I want to look at something here. This is This is Thorndike Barnhart dictionary. Belonged to my mother. And those of you you can't really see very much, but this is this belonged to my mother before she was married to my father. And she's got his name written all over the book because she had a thing for my dad. But in this this is Thorndike Barnhart dictionary from 1952. Right? This is pre-internet. This is pre-let's rewrite everything to suit the, the current modern narrative. Now, <clears throat> if I go in here and I look at the definition of fascism. Let me take my glasses off so I can see. The definition of fascism, as, as it's in the 1952 Thorndike Barnhart Dictionary. <clears throat> fascism. Principles or methods of a party in favor of government control of industry and labor and opposed to socialism and communism. Fascism started in Italy in 1919. Opposed to socialism and communism. Well, that's, that's not all bad, right? But you've got government control of industry and labor. Okay, well, let's go over and look at Socialism. The definition of socialism here, as in the 1952 Thorndike Barnhart Dictionary. <clears throat> socialism. The principle that the interests of the community should prevail over the interests of individuals. Any of various plans for greater public control of property, business, and industry. Well, that sounds like fascism, too. Your government, the state, is in charge of the industry and the individual. And yet fascism is going to be opposed to socialism and communism. Well, let's look at communism. The, de the de de definition as, as in the 1952 Thorndike Barnhart Dictionary, communism, <coughs> a plan by which most or all property is owned by the state and shared by all citizens. See, all three of these things, fascism, communism, socialism, they all sound similar. They all sound kind of the same. And nowhere, 
on the right in conservative politics, do you find advocacy for more government control of everything? You just don't. I will make the distinction that there is a difference sometimes between Republicans and conservatives. Because not all, con- not all Republicans are conservatives. <clears throat> but when you sit there and, and all of the media nowadays wants to associate fascism with the right, that's not applicable, folks. You can't do that because conservatism believes in individual responsibility. It's one of the reasons why we have so much of a problem whenever we get attacked because conservatives, Republicans don't don't have the habit of circling the wagons around anybody that's just part of the group the way the Democrats do, the way the left does. <clears throat> and, and stop, you're right. The left-right argument is about individual rights versus group rights. The, the thing is <clears throat> that you have... Uh, you have this idea that the government needs to be in charge of everything. This authoritarian regime wants to be in charge of everything. But you go back to the beginning of this article, and it's, it's interesting that you have... <clears throat> A, a, a description of these aliens promising peace in our time, promising medical advancements, new technology, right? <clears throat> and yet, these visitors want to control the world. And it really does kind of sound like that whole build back better promise crap that we had, didn't it? <clears throat> I I I think that you have this This idea here that Hollywood has, the left has, they, they are desperate at this point to redefine the narrative so that conservatives, not necessarily Republicans, but conservatives, are the evil fascists who want the government in charge of everything. And that is absolutely not true. As a conservative myself... I don't want the government in charge of almost anything. We believe in individual rights. We believe in freedom of movement. We believe individual freedom and personal responsibility. And that's something that the left does not tolerate. Fascism is government control over all of it. Government control over the industry, government control over you, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, where you work, how you work, how much you work, what you produce, what you're able to do with your time. That's fascism. That's socialism. That's communism. All of those are of a piece. Whether they get along with each other or not is irrelevant. But they're all of a piece. Government controls you. And yet, if you were to make V now as a series of movies, it would be absolutely you would have right there at the heart of it a Donald Trump analog as the bad guy. Donovan's mother would be some sort of right-wing 
Republican politician type, rich corporate type CEO. And and now, I mean, you look at what happened uh, when David Zaslav gave a, a commencement speech at a at a college up in New England somewhere. What was it Boston uh, a, last week? These CEOs are getting called out for their huge salaries and big compensation packages. Pay your writers. It's interesting how the, the, the modern day media wants to reframe everything and the definitions of everything. Uh, Nazi has two of its four words, especially left-wing socialist. Yeah, the, the National Socialist Party. National, nationalism <coughs> is different. Uh, in in see that's what they want to do. They want to say, well, the nationalists are the social. No, we don't want the na- you know, the nationalists don't want the nation the the government in charge. The nationalists want a little bit of respect for the nation, like secure border. Michael says, I do not support any group that might muzzle my unfiltered comments. My brain would explode. Yeah. I'm the same way, which is one of the reasons why we're on multiple video platforms, because at some point, maybe, YouTube's algorithm is going to decide we don't need to be here. Which, you know, as long as we continue to grow on YouTube, that's fine. We can stay here on YouTube. But I want Odyssey and Rumble numbers to go up as well because there is going to be a time and I think it's going to happen in the next year or so when things are going to come to a head we're already seeing it Bud Light Miller Light Target those things are more in the public awareness than they ever have been. People are waking up and they're going, hey, I'm not sure that I like this. And when that happens, you're going to have people in the government, you're going to have people in corporations who are going to call for the oppression of the individual. How dare you be a bigot they'll say, and they want more control over your ability to say things. That's why they freaked out over Elon Musk buying Twitter. That's why they shut down Tucker Carlson. Fascism doesn't come from the right. Fascism doesn't come from conservatives. Fascism does not come from Republicans, not so much. Fascism is a far left, progressivist, leftist, statist mentality. Just like socialism, just like communism. They are just degrees away from each other. But can you imagine... What the internet would have done with V, brand new, at the time. If we had had social media in 1983, what would V look like? How would V, the final battle, have played out? And what would it look like now? What does Kenneth Johnson have in mind? Because he's 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 dead set on doing a V movies, and I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, I don't know that I want that because, like everything else, it would be reimagined for the modern audience, and you know what that means. The fact that it was already an in-your-face, over-the-top allegory against Nazi Germany, 
how what, what do you do from there? How do you how do you do that? Especially now, this far out from World War II. I mean, in the eighties, we got it. We figured. Look, I mean, their their little logo thing on all of the ships was so close to being a swastika. We got it. It's obvious. But the story was told well. The story was executed well. It was entertaining that you didn't have to see the allegory if you didn't want to. It's there. I mean, it's blatant right there with 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 uh, with Abraham coming in and said, "I've seen this before. This has happened before. All this has happened before, and will happen again." I, I honestly, Snob says maybe there's a version of fascism that could come from a more conservative background. I can't think of how you would do it, though. Because it, I mean, you even look at the whole thing with, they're censoring books, they're banning books, they're burning books. No, we just want to restrict access to certain material that's inappropriate for kids. That's not fascism. I mean, if if I'm a parent, and I am a parent, I have a 21-year-old now, and if I were to go into the library of my kid's school, and I find a book, and I look at this, and I'm like, hang on, what is this book doing here in an elementary school? And I go to the librarian and I say, why is this book in here? This book is not appropriate for kids this age to be reading this book. That's not me being fascist. That's me being a responsible parent. That's me sitting there going, hang on, I don't want my kid exposed to this. At that age? Absolutely not. It's totally inappropriate. But that would get played in the media as you want to ban the books well here let me read this book in the in the school board meeting oh no 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 you can't it's not appropriate if it's not appropriate for me to read it out loud in the school board meeting what is it doing in my kids library that's not fascism it's not even really censorship because censorship would say you can't publish that ever. Censorship would be you can't put that book anywhere. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're not to read it. You're not allowed to share it. That's censorship. Sarah J over on Odyssey. What's going on? Good to see you. I'm. I still need to put together a sounder for new names when I see new names in the chat. Uh, Snob, you're right. There's a difference from preventing minors from seeing certain things to removing it for all to see. That's that's absolutely right. I've 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 had good experiences with with certain with some librarians as I was as I was growing up none of them ever tried to push anything on me as far as like an agenda but that was that was a while ago that was 40 years ago 45 years ago 50 years ago things have changed and if you were to make v now it would be a bloated in your face, not allegory that paints a certain particular political party as the villain. It's just like when they took and put uh, Jordan Peterson's words on on Red Skull's website over at Marvel Comics. It's just like taking Orange Man bad and putting that on everything. Fascism does not come from the right. Fascism, socialism, communism, 
they're all very close cousins to each other. And they all want to shut you up and control you. And conservatives don't want to do that. Conservatives believe in limited government. Limited spending. Individual freedom. Personal responsibility. And if you want to... If, if you want to put on a dress and, and call yourself Beulah, that's fine. But you cross the line when you want to force me into your delusion. Individual responsibility. You want to start promoting an agenda that... 97, 98% of the population doesn't really, doesn't really buy into, and you want to use government and corporations in order to force the issue, that's not, that's not acceptable. And that's not anything that's coming from the right. And if V were made now, it would be an unmitigated disaster even worse, probably, than the TV show that was made here a few years ago. And it would be a failure. If you put it in the box office, you put it in the movie theaters, it would be a flop. It would be a box office bomb. Because people are waking up to the agenda. People are waking up to, wait a minute, why are you making this movie and why are you doing it this way? Why are you putting this kind of a message into it? And it wouldn't be the fact that it's an anti fascism allegory it's an in in your face anti-conservative allegory and people people are glomming onto that they are they are waking up to this they are figuring it out and as much as i want to complain about the internet and i do complain about the internet but as much as i want to complain about how terrible a cesspool the internet is if we did not have social media, if we did not have the internet, then we would not have as many people going out with their mobile devices, going to Target, going to the libraries, going to the school board meetings, going to various different demonstrations and, and fiery but mostly peaceful protests, and, and getting the truth out. Here's what really happened. Look at all of these people that are looting this store, and nobody's doing anything about it. Look, I'm going to read this at the school board meeting. What do you mean I can't read it here? Without social media, without the internet, we would not be aware of, it, of as much of this. And I think there is an awakening happening in the culture, not just politics. Remember what Andrew Breitbart said. It, politics is downstream from culture. All of this stuff that we're talking about here with movies and television and everything else— all of that impacts the politics of things and vice versa. The politics of things and, and, and the entertainment media, it's all related. It's all, there's all pieces and parts that go together. And we're going to use one to promote the other. And we're going to use another one to push this. And people are starting to figure it out. Which is why it's not going to be a bad thing for the Writers Guild and the SAG and the Directors Guild and everybody else to go on strike. Let's just shut Hollywood down for a while and everybody take a breather. Because what you're putting out now, nobody wants. <clears throat> All right. Yes, I did get on the soapbox a little bit today because that's what happens. Tomorrow... Money edition, we're going to be talking about the strike, we're going to be talking about some other stuff uh, with regard to business and finance and stuff. Dan Danford will be here. I don't know if Matthew's going to make it or not. Culture Casino is looking at his schedule. We will be talking about stuff tomorrow. And then, of course, Open Line Friday. Friday. And Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday. Um, let me let me close with this. I I have discovered something, and I don't know if Mrs. Boss is still in the chat and, and watching. She's not down here in the studio. Um, 
I have discovered, because every now and again, you'll notice we rearrange the studio down here. I have discovered a new, a new iteration that maybe this might be the next version of the studio here. This is from 1902, this photograph. <coughs> this photograph, it says here, shows French knife grinders. Uh, and they are on their stomachs uh, to keep their backs from getting hunched all day because they're, they're not using grinding wheels. They got these little things down here on the bottom. They're just grinding the knives, just pushing the knife blade on the grinding grinding stone all day. And I'm I'm kind of leaning toward if if something like this, maybe maybe we need to have our new workstations look like this where we just kind of lie on a cot with a with a dog maybe i don't know always something all right that's it folks i'm off my soapbox thanks very much for being here today don't forget we are on various different social media platforms all the different video platforms, connect with us over there, connect with us on the Discord server. <clears throat> Keep your nose to the grindstone, stay out of trouble, wash your hands. And uh, we will be back to do this all again tomorrow. All of these links, the Vanity Fair article, all that's in the notes, uh, so you can look at all of that. And join us tomorrow for our money edition. In the meantime... Check out all the rest of the videos that we've got around here. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. So does Hollywood. God has a plan for you, and there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 